Avs fans. Hello, Arif. This is another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. As I said, Arif's sitting here looking at him right now in the Skype screen. I'm JJ Derez here to talk some off-season hockey with you. Um, you know, not much going on. It is game four tonight. Last I saw Tampa Bay down one nothing, so we'll see if that ends. And we are officially in the offseason, but here at Hockey Mountain High, we've been in the offseason since round two, right, Arif? Yeah, it's been, it, I don't even think it's been a month yet. I think the avalanche season ended June 10th. It feels like it was a long time ago. It's been two weeks since our last episode. I feel like I haven't seen you and our, or our lovely producer, Patrick, in a very long time. But we're back to talk all the fun stuff that's about to follow in the month of July. Yeah, I mean, things kind of slow down until after the uh, Stanley Cup finals. I mean, it's fun to watch the final, but this one has been kind of atrocious. I mean... Uh, I, I don't know. You, you can't help as an Avalanche fan and think, what well, man, I think the Avalanche would have definitely made this a better series because it's been horrible. Yeah. But I, I, at the same time, you're like, how, how would the Avalanche really fare against a team like Tampa Bay with how strong they've looked? I mean, the reality is uh, it's hard to tell because in the NHL, like we always talk about, every series is different. Every matchup is different. But looking at the Tampa Bay Lightning, man, they're a wagon. And, yeah. and the reason, the, yeah, like it's 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 straight up. Their third line is Yanni Gord, Barclay Goudreau, and uh, Blake Coleman. And like um, coach, their coach John Cooper says that line brings a gun to a knife fight, and that's ultimately what they do. And and the reason why it's so fascinating to look at that team, and the reason why I think there are there are still a little bit of moves the Avalanche could make, is when you look at a player like Blake Coleman. You look at him and you look at the Avalanche roster and you go, oh, hell yeah, that's a guy you can slot in. If Brandon Saad walks, he replaces him. But you're taking the guy who plays on the third line in Tampa Bay and putting him as your second line winger in Colorado. You're looking at someone like Tyler Johnson. This was a funny number for me. Uh, and, and I'm not going to take credit for this. I got it from a different podcast from the Steve Dangle podcast. But Tyler Johnson was the first star in game three. You want to know how many minutes Tyler Johnson played in game three? He played he played nine minutes as the fourth line center and played his ass off, had a hell of a game. Pierre Edouard Belmar is not giving you nine minutes, a game winning goal, fight for like it's just a different team. It's a and obviously people are gonna sit here and complain about their salary cap and how they're circumventing they're not circumventing anything. It's it's part of the rules. They found a way to to take advantage of it. It would have been the same thing for the Avalanche if Eric Johnson came back in the third round because that $6 million wouldn't have counted either. But it's it's a far different team, and just looking at how good this team is, I'm not saying the Avalanche can't beat them. I'm just saying, man, Joe Sackett can really do some things to try to match up with a team like Tampa. Yeah, I mean, you look at that Tampa Bay third line, and you look at the Avalanche third line, and, and the usage says it all. I mean, you always see Tampa Bay's third line out on the ice, out at, during important face-offs, and then, like you said, the, the whole knife to a gunfight or Gun, gun to a knife fight uh, saying there is is because they just bring that grit, right? They bring that snarl to the ice and then they, they have a little bit of skill to back it up. And then when you look at the stars for Tampa Bay, like Kucherov and Stamkos, Kucherov is constantly producing, right? You rarely hear a conversation like, oh, where's Kucherov been? We haven't seen him in a couple games. Granted, a lot of times it's on the power play, but he's yeah. still just such a dangerous weapon all the time, every time he's on the ice, especially on the power play. And that's kind of what I see the avalanche lacking, right? That third line snarl yep. and the the stars being able to be the stars when you need them the freaking most. Yeah, bringing a knife to a gunfight is actually what the avalanche did against Vegas. So, it, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the funny thing is you just mentioned two of Tampa Bay stars and you didn't even mention Braden Point. You didn't right. mention Andre Palat, you know, those the triplets with Johnson and Palat and, 
and uh, Kucherov. And then like, they're, they're just a very loaded team. And when you look at the avalanche, when you look at that third line spot and, and the, the, the middle six, it's ultimately the middle six needs to win you a cup. And this is why I keep going back to, they need more snarl in that middle six. Mm-hmm. They have a Donskoy, they have a Nichushkin, and they have, uh, who's the other guy, Burakovsky. Those are your three middle six wingers that are signed right now because Brandon Saad is not signed, and who knows if he's going to come back. Elliot Friedman said he can see the LA Kings targeting him, so who knows? Mm. But those three guys are all finesse-skilled players, and having being a finesse-skilled player is great, but being a kind of player that brings a gun to a knife fight in the middle six is a heck of a lot better. So if you replace Saad and uh, blank, let's say Donskoy, with Garland and Coleman, so now you got Carlin, Goldman, Coleman, Burakovsky, and and uh, Nichushkin, it looks a little better. If you if you do something, you know, you finesse it kind of like that. So ultimately, the the cool thing is about looking at this kind of situation. What have we been saying about Tampa Bay the last two years? In order for them to get over the hump, they went out and traded for Barclay Goudreau and Blake Coleman. Well, Barclay Kudrow and Blake Coleman are now both UFAs. So those are the types of guys that you can see the Avalanche making a run for. Those are the types of guys that you can see the Avalanche kind of bringing in, one or two of them, depending on how much money they have, depending on if Brandon Saad resigns or what Landeskog gets. It's going to change the outlook of your team, and it's going to you know, obviously make you look a lot more like Tampa Bay because you're picking up one of those guys. But those are the kind of guys you need. It goes back to that Connor Garland discussion. Those are the players you need on this team. Uh, yeah, I'd prefer a guy like Connor Garland. Not anything against Coleman or Goudreau, but I just feel like you go after the guys that just finished with Tampa Bay after two long runs. You're kind of getting a, a little bit of used, recycled trash there, right? I mean, obviously they're not trash. Trash was the wrong word, but used, recycled players there for uh, to fill your third line. So I'd rather find some options like a Garland, somebody who hasn't been through the mud in the last two years, two seasons, and you know he's even had a lot of time to to rest. Not not really being in the playoffs, so I, I you got to dig deep and you got to find some guys like that because you're right. That's exactly where the hole is. And watching the finals, you can just pinpoint almost exactly what the Avalanche are lacking. And I I like exactly what you're saying. I'm with you. Um, it makes me think about Saad though, as you pointed out, and whether or not he walks or stays. And I, you know, the L.A. Kings I feel like would be a good option for him. And he's at a point in his career where he's not exactly needing a cup right he's got his cups yeah. he's ha- he's had his glory he's kind of on the not even the back nine maybe the, the final five holes of his career right so um he might not be cup driven he might be more location driven in la that might be a great spot for him i'd be nervous about uh losing him to la and then and then you don't you know you don't know what to do from there because losing sod was a big part of your offensive production during the playoffs so you got to really dig deep and, and pull out another rabbit out of your hat if you're joe sackick i think and, and I mean, the thing is, usually in, in any other offseason, I would be worried about Brandon Saad right now and, and the fact that he hasn't re-signed. And there's been ultimately zero word, zero discussion. We're not really hearing much about any of the UFAs. But the reason why it's different this year is because the expansion draft is in 16 days. The expansion draft list is due in 12 days. Signing Saad means you have to protect him and then unprotect somebody else. Signing Landeskog mm-hmm. means the same thing. So in my opinion, it just looks like the Avalanche are kind of using, I forget who it is that says, I think it's Lou Lamorello. There's someone that, there's a GM. I always, I always hear other people talk about, they say, uh, I I believe it's Lou Lamorello. He says, if you have time, use it. And Joe Sackick has the time right now because free agency starts the 28th. The expansion draft is the 21st. 
the expansion draft list is due the 17th. Today is the 5th. You have the time between the draft and the free agency. You got seven days. And in those seven days, you can sign Landeskog. You can sign Makar. Hell, you can decide what you're going to do with Grubauer. Maybe trade him. Maybe like there's a, well, not trade him, but trade for a different goalie. There's a lot of things you can do in those seven days. Um, and that's ultimately why I'm not optimistic about Brandon Saad coming back. But I, I also can't say that it's in, it's set in stone that he's gone because it just, I mean, if, if signing Landeskog is going to take up one of your protection protection spots, Signing Saad just seems so far-fetched to do this early if you were planning on bringing him back. Yeah, there's a lot that can happen, but I just feel like it's an uphill battle. That's why I said Joe has to pull a rabbit out of his hat here because it just seems like in order to make this team better as well as stay cap compliant, as well as you know keep the expansion draft in mind, it's just there's a lot of hoops that he's got to jump through. And it, it, man, I don't know. I'm I'm feeling a little nervous that we might see a worse version of the avalanche team that doesn't mean it's going to produce less right i mean how many times have we seen a worse version of a team come back and end up being better somehow enter the washington capitals exactly that's exactly what i had on my mind when i was saying that um so i i just have a hard time believing that it, it they're going to be able to take a major step forward this offseason yeah and and the reality is you get to a point and this is kind of the situation in toronto that you know not necessarily the big contracts is what i'm talking about but their big players is Toronto had those few years where they lost guys like Tyler Bozak, James Van Riemsdyk, Nazem Kadri. Like those are big names they were losing from their middle six. And the reality was, yeah, you're going to come out of the offseason worse, but it's time for your big guys to take a bigger step. We saw Sam Gerrard do it last year. We saw Devon Taves do it last year. We've, we saw Miko Ranton and kind of bounce back from that wonky season he had in, 18, in 1920. We saw Kale McCarr, you know, have a great year, obviously injuries, Nathan McKinnon, not as much as you'd want to see from him, but still pretty good year. You need those guys to take the next step, especially in the playoffs, because like you said, if you lose somebody like Brandon Saad, who's going to replace the what nine goals he scored or eight goals, however the hell many it was, who's going to replace that? It needs to be the Rantanens, the McKinnons, the Landeskogs, assuming he's back. So the avalanche might not look as good. But again, right now, the point isn't to get better and to add more skill and, and, and studs to your team. We saw them do that the last two off seasons. We saw them do it last year with Saad and Taves. The year before, they added Burakovsky and they added Kadri and they had that Donskoy addition and all those great additions they made that year is what turned the team around. Now it's about finding the right fits. Right. Filling missing pieces. I like that. Filling those missing pieces. Finding the goalie that you think can win you the Stanley Cup finding the guys like the Garlands and and the guys like Blake Coleman's. And the funny thing is, I'm going to keep saying Connor Garland and Joe Sackett's going to go completely off the map and bring in somebody none of us were thinking about, just like Devontae's, just like Brandon Saad. It's mm-hmm. going to be like like the Victor Arvidsson trade to LA. Speaking of the Kings, it's it's like the Victor Arvidsson trade. Came out of nowhere. Yep. Nobody had any idea was going to get traded. That's mm-hmm. the kind like, you're going to wake up one day and like bringing TJ Oshie's on the avalanche or <laughs> just like a random name, someone Ricard Raquel or whoever, like someone random is going to be on the team. But Joe Sackick's not stupid. He knows what his team needs. He knows what he needs to do. But because of the expansion draft, he's kind of got to take things one step at a time. Right. So as you said, the expansion draft list is due the 17th, which is 12 days from now. Let's look a little bit into it. Of course, they have the two options of the seven forwards, three D, one goalie or the eight players and two goalies. Right. So is eight one goalie. 
Eight, yeah, eight, eight skaters and one goalie. Eight skaters and one goalie. Um, so uh, obviously you want to go to the seven three one route because you just get to protect more yeah. players. It's more yep. logical that way. So um, let's dig a little deeper. Let's start protecting our own players here. I guess uh, I think there's some obvious ones I don't think we need to get into too much, right? Nathan McKinnon's obviously protected, but let's look at those fringe guys and kind of see who we think is is going to stay, is going to be left exposed, and kind of what they do with that defensive group too, which I think is one of the biggest pickles they're in. Yeah, I say let's we'll, we'll we'll put together our list. We'll see what it looks like in a couple of weeks when the actual list comes out. But I think it's pretty easy to assume twenty nine and ninety six are going to get protected. Those are two off the bat as the forwards. Um, would you put Kadri in that conversation? I I would. Yeah, because I I would as well. Because you know, like like we talked about in the past, he's a guy that if he's available for nothing for one year at four and a half million, you can see Seattle taking him. Um, and if you want to trade him, you don't have much value. You may as well keep him for... I mean, the Avalanche, once upon a time, protected Blake Como one year away from UFA status. Yeah. That was a far different team where we were complaining about Calvin Pickard, who ended up being nothing in the NHL. But yeah, I would say Kadri's the third guy. Well, and like it or not, he's he's a part of the plan, right? Exactly. I know he's there's you're on one side of the fence on him or the other, but um, you know he's a big piece on yeah. that second line, and he could have really produced a lot if he was part of that series against Vegas. So I think you really missed him. And, you know, that's kind of, uh, I think that says a lot, right? When you're missing somebody, you kind of notice what, you know, you notice absence. You miss people when they're gone. That's what I'm trying to say in a much more elegant way, though. (laughs) It's it's the off season. It's been a couple of weeks. It's all all good. (laughs) We're all we're all having feeling that rust right now. Another guy on that list, would you say Burakovsky is pretty much a shoe in to be protected? Yeah, I mean, yeah, just because, you, again, you kind of have to. You don't want the uh, top six group of this team getting broken up just because you will favor one guy or, over another. you got to continue the progress you've made over the last couple of years and stick with the plan you've had. Yeah, so we're going to assume that Landeskog doesn't re-sign between now and the 17th, which obviously could change, but right now we have to assume that that's not going to happen. The only assumption that I say we can take in making this list is that Eric Johnson is going to wave. And I think the funny thing is of when you, when you look at the Avalanche's uh when you look at the Avalanche's kind of struggles with the expansion draft, there were two question marks going into the season that were like massive questions. It was you have two great goalies in Gruby and Francis. Obviously Gruby was going to be a pending UFA regardless. And you have a defenseman named Eric Johnson who's going to eat up one of your spots unless he waves. Well, the injury to Francis and the injury to Johnson made this a far easier list to create. It kind of solved two problems because even if the Avalanche re-sign Grubauer and protect him before the 17th, no one's touching Francis coming off of a hip surgery. And Eric Johnson, I mean, it's not even at the point yet where you're like, hey, Eric, can you please wave? And we hope Seattle doesn't take you. It's like, dude, you're not stupid. We're not stupid. Seattle's not touching you. You're old. You were injured. The third game of the season, you didn't see a lot of time. So like Francis, it kind of cleared up that situation. So that's the only assumption we'll make. But Landeskog is not signed. So now you have four forwards. You have 13, 17, 37, and 72. Real quick. You remember how back in the uh, Vegas series, there was a point where Eric Johnson was back on the ice and Bednar kind of said he might be able to show up at some point this season, maybe not. Had he played at all in the series... Do you think there's a much higher possibility that Seattle maybe takes them? Because then, they, you know, it kind of sends a message, hey, this guy's back to health, at least as close to full health that he's been in a long time. Does that maybe 
throw a little bit more of a predicament for Colorado because then Seattle says, all right, he might be a little bit old, but he is healthy. He's back and he, he's still Eric Johnson. You know, he's still a, yeah. a, a good caliber defenseman. So I don't know. What are your, what's your thought there? So Joe Sackick said at the trade deadline that, or after the trade deadline, that Johnson could return late in the playoffs. And he was thinking more third round, but let's just pretend it was second round. And let's pretend after that game five, a uh, gut punch of a loss that the Avalanche had going into game six in Vegas, Eric Johnson was reinserted into the lineup and it provided the team with a flare of energy and they won game six and they forced game seven and they won game seven and they beat the Canadians. And you know what the storyline is going to be. Eric Johnson returned. He's got the A on his sweater. He's a leader. He's been wanting this for forever. He's never gotten this close. The Avalanche have been rallying around him. If that were the case and he stayed healthy the entire way, kind of like when Stamkos jumped into the finals last year against Dallas, scored a goal and then got injured again, but Mm -hmm. without the getting injured part, (laughs) if that was a situation with Eric Johnson, I could see Seattle looking at him and going, why the hell wouldn't we make Eric Johnson our first captain? You know, kind of like a Derek Engelin kind of thing situation, even though they never really put the letter on Engelin in Vegas, but that didn't happen. So you got leftover from the forwards. You got Nichushkin, Jost, Comfer, Donskoy. You got three spots to protect. Who are the three spots? Who are the three guys you protect from those three? Uh, I think you I think you expose Comfort and Donskoy. Well, you well, again, without Landeskog, you can protect three guys. So you only need to expose one. Out of Donskoy, Comfort, Jostin, Nichushkin, you can only you only need to expose one of those guys. Well, I think I narrow it down to essentially Comfort and Jost. Now Comfort and Jost or Comfort and Donskoy? Conference Jost to be exposed, not protected. Okay. Conference Jost to be exposed. Yeah. So we're going to protect 13. So we've agreed on that. Uh, so that leaves. Uh, but why? I don't know. I I'm, I know he does again, a lot of again, good things. Protecting, protecting somebody doesn't mean they got to use him next season. Protecting somebody just means he could end up being a trade chip. So again. You got Nichushkin, Jost, Comfort, Donskoy. Only one needs to be exposed. Which one do you expose out of those four? Ah, oh, man. I, I I don't know. What do you think? I'm right now, I teeter, I was teeter-tottering between Comfort and Jost. Then I wanted to add Nichushkin in there. Now I've got the three of them in my head. Now, Comfort, between Comfort and Jost, I think Jost, um, while he hasn't brought as much to the table as Comfer has in the last couple of years, I think the future is more bright for, for Jost than Comfer. Uh, so that leaves me with Comfer and Nachuskin, and Nachuskin does, uh, he has a higher ceiling than Comfer does. We just, it depends on when we see it. So I guess I'll expose Comfer. You want to know which way I would go? Yes. And it's none of those three names. It's Donskoy. And the reason why I would expose Donskoy is because... Let's face it, the Avalanche are in a situation right now where, in my opinion, two of those guys, like Donskoy and Comfer, for example, or maybe Comfer and Nichushkin, two of those guys are not going to be on this team come October. Just for salary cap purposes, you need to kind of rearrange the money. Jost and Comfer are centermen that are pretty serviceable players, and they're still pretty young. Comfer is going to be 26 this year, and Jost is younger than that. They are young players, and they're centermen. Those guys have far more trade value than a winger ever will. So if you protect Nichushkin and and you're protecting Nichushkin over Donskoy because Nichushkin brings a different type of game that you're going to need, you're hoping to replace Donskoy with a different kind of offensively powered forward. 
because uh, Donskoy is not a third liner. You want him to be on your second line, but if you're going to play him on your second line, then you got to, you know, bounce Burakovsky and replace him with a different kind of forward because they kind of, they're the same kind of player. It's like Barry and 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 Makar, you know, a couple years ago, in my opinion. So I would say you protect Jost, you protect Comfer, you protect Nichushkin, and you leave number 72 up for grabs because if under the circumstance that Vegas or Seattle decides to take a forward instead of, let's say, Ryan Graves, for example, on defense, Donskoy is a lot easier to replace than one of those two centermen. And one of those two centermen would be a lot easier to trade later than Donskoy. And kind of like we talked at the top of the show, that's the part of the lineup that you need to shore up, right? And the part of the lineup that needs to kind of uh, kept, be kept to a minimum is the softness that kind of is part of Don Scoy's game. I mean, like, like it or not, he's he does bring some goals here and there, and I think that's why he's kind of tough to expose because he, he brings more than a, a Comfer or a Jost does offensively. But then you look at the, the snarl that we've been talking about all playoffs, all year even, um, you know, of those of that group of guys who has the least amount of it and who's going to be the least like a Blake Coleman or the Barkley Goudreau. And I think it is Donskoy. I'm with you. I'm with you. But I, I don't know. I'd rather have Donskoy and his capabilities and what he is able to do at times than what JT Comfer is able to do at times. I don't disagree with what you're saying about Donskoy, but I think that opens up an entirely new conversation for me that I, I'm not even willing to have right now because we just want to create our list based off of the current roster. And the question that I have is, if Donskoy is going to give you all of that for two more years at 3.9, and Burakovsky is a pending UFA next season and in a year from now, and he makes 4.9, then maybe there's a question to be had about trading Burakovsky, protecting Donskoy, and using that $5 million you had toward Burakovsky on a forward that can fill his role and play a different game. That's when you get into the conversation of someone like Zach Hyman. Or going out and trading for somebody like that, who's a little bit more of a skilled or a more productive version of those Blake Coleman type of players, but can replace Burakovsky's role rather than a level below, which is what you have in Donskoy. So that's an entirely new conversation. But in my mind, in the end, the Avalanche going into next season, number 72 and number 95, you got to keep one of them. You got to get rid of the other guy. It's, it, it seems a little crazy to say getting rid of Burakovsky, but you can really use that $5 million and put it to good use elsewhere. But for argument's sake, he's likely not going anywhere, I would say, unless Sackett gets really creative. So that's why I would say you keep Donskoy exposed is because if you want to expose Donskoy, number one, if you expose Donskoy and they take him, that clears up $3.9 million of your cap space. You need that money. If uh, you exposed Nichushkin instead of Donskoy and Nichushkin was taken... 2.3 isn't going to buy you much. So that's why you're exposing that guy. And then from the two centermen, even if you decide we don't want JT Comfer anymore, or you decide we'll keep Comfer and we'll get rid of Jost instead of resigning him if he prices himself out or tries to ask for too much, trading a centerman is so much easier. So in my mind, you're going to protect McKinnon, Rantanen, Kadri, Burakovsky. Those are the main four. Plus Nichushkin, Jost, Comfer, and you're going to have 72 exposed. Did I, oh, did I sell you? Man. <laughs> I just, uh, I get what you're saying. I do. I just think, I just think you have better options. I mean, I think it's kind of, ah, uh, no, I like, I, I, I'm on board. I'm on board with it because you're right. You want to sh- open up some money there 
And like I said, that's kind of a position of need that they need to improve upon. So if you're going to, yeah. oh, man, it, it stings. I think Jost and Comfer, I think those are guys are better options, but I get what you're if going If you're going to expose somebody else, I would say Comfer. Just because Donskoy's coming off such a good season that Seattle might really pick him up right away. JT Comfer's uh, not coming off the best season, so I doubt Seattle takes him. But even if Seattle does take him, I mean, you were using him as a fourth-line winger at the end of the year because he kind of had... So I think the conversation right. is between 37 and 72. Right, and that's my thing with Comfer is... I'm kind of convincing myself to go the other way now. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he only makes 400000 less than Donskoy. So if Comfer's at 3.5, Donskoy's at 3.9, and I'm just increasingly underwhelmed by what JT Comfer brings. And he's just nowhere near the player I thought he was going to be when they got him, and he, it doesn't seem like he's ever going to get there. Where Donskoy, you know who he is, you know what you're going to get out of him, and he does produce a little bit more offense, but he's not exactly the best fit. So... I don't think either of us are wrong here, Arif. I like I like this argument. Yeah, and I ultimately think it's it, the conversation is which one is easier to trade, because okay, if you're gonna yeah. lose if you're gonna lose both, which one's gonna give you a better return? Because mm-hmm. Seattle might take one for free, and the other one you're gonna trade. So if Comfer's only gonna net you a fifth rounder, not that he would, but I'm saying if he was to only net you a fifth rounder, and Donskoy was to only net you a sixth rounder, then you may as well expose Donskoy, let him go for free, and let the guy that's gonna get you the higher draft pick you know, go in a trade. And again, I'm not saying they're going to go for fifth and sixth rounders. I'm just using very small draft picks as an example, because they are far better players than fifth and sixth round players. But that's kind of the way that I look at it. Um, or hell, maybe you end up keeping one of them because Brandon Saad walks and you replace him with a lesser value player, um, which I wouldn't be, I wouldn't agree because I wouldn't agree to, because I think Sackick needs to replace Saad with somebody who's good enough. And somebody who's good enough is likely making four to 5 million. So you ultimately can't go wrong either way, but let's pick one. Give me, give me a name and we'll write him down. Uh, let's protect, shoot, I don't know. Let's go with yours. Let's protect Comfer. Okay, so Donskoy is going to be exposed. We're going to protect McKinnon, Rantanen, Kadri, Burakovsky, Nichushkin, Jost, Comfer. Defense, this should take us about five seconds. Kale McCarr, Sam Gerrard, Devon Taves. Do you have any vetoes for Ryan Graves? Zero vetoes. I mean, if <laughs> How about anything, you, producer Patrick, do you have any vetoes for Ryan Graves? And eh, no. All right, I, I thought so. Right. I mean, I think all of us in Avalanche Land at this point have come to not the expectations, but maybe the hope that Ryan Graves is the guy. I mean, he didn't have the most stellar um, playoff for the Avalanche this year, and you know he's been fine. He's been he was even good at one point. But he's a guy that they can completely do without, completely replace. I mean, they got him for almost nothing, right? Bigraw played him, had played his way out of the team, out of the favor yeah. of the coaching staff, and he wasn't going to get a shot in the, at the uh, NHL level with Colorado anymore. So they basically gave him away and uh, got Ryan Graves back, and he's been fine. But I don't think he's anything worry, worrisome if they, le- if they take him, and he's just a guy that... I think everybody wants Seattle to take at this point. And I think Seattle, from their perspective, is he's a pretty intriguing guy too. Yeah, he is. He, um, I mean, and the way that Vegas did it, Vegas took a lot of defensemen and they traded a bunch of them uh, because defensemen have more value. Like centermen, defensemen have more value. So just some of the examples of guys that Vegas took, uh, Trevor Van Riemsdyk, they traded before he ever played a game. Mark Mathot was the big one because that was from Ottawa coming out of the coming out of that year where Ottawa made it one game away from the Stanley Cup final. 
And the third one was David Schlemko out of New Jersey, I want to say. Or was it St. Louis? or No, San Jose. David Schlemko out of San Jose. Those were three defensemen that they took that they used simply to flip for draft capital, which they then used that draft capital to trade for guys like Tatar. And then they used Tatar to trade for Pacioretty. So it kind of became like this cycle of collecting all these draft picks and using them to get guys like Stone and Pacioretty and all those guys later on down the road. So... I kind of think Ryan Graves would be the more enticing option, even over 72 and 37. But again, it just depends on what they're doing from other teams. So if you can take, you know, let's say Comfer, or sorry, not Comfer, Donskoy, and a defenseman from another team that's better than Graves, that would be a better option than taking Graves and like a lesser forward from another team. So it just kind of depends on what other teams are going to give you. If you can take TJ Oshie from the Capitals, uh, and you're picking between Oshi and Donskoy, you're likely going to take Oshi if the salary cap works, and then that leaves you with Graves. But if you have the option to take a better defenseman, so you get the point. But Ryan Graves is obviously the easy one because McCarr, Gerard, and Taves are all um, top-line defensemen on 30 of the 31, 32 teams in the NHL, and I like it's it's simple as that. Eric Johnson waves. He's exposed. Ryan Graves is exposed. I don't see Seattle touching uh, Johnson. Makar, Gerard, and Taves are protected. There's your answer right there. It's Ryan Graves. He makes $3.3 million. That's money you can use elsewhere. And like I said, I think if you're a franchise that's trying to build something, Ryan Graves is kind of a great fit because he's a cheap player. He's a young player, but he's also kind of been a fan favorite around here, right? The fans yeah. really gravitated towards him. They like the way he plays. He has a good little style where he pisses the other team off a lot, right? Which is fun. Fun for fan bases. And I think if you're an organization trying to build some excitement, Ryan Graves is a guy that can generate some excitement for you on the blue line and not be too costly. He's not going to do much offensively, but he does like to stir things up and create that fun hockey energy, right? Which is what they're trying to build in Seattle. Yeah. And uh, to me, my favorite Ryan Graves moment with the Avalanche is that game against Tampa Bay before the pandemic started. The game where Miko ran and went to the boards and broke his shoulder or collarbone, whatever it was, his collarbone, I think. Um, you don't break a shoulder, but you get the point. Uh, in that game, if you remember, Andre Palat kind of lit up Nathan McKinnon with a hit at the blue line and Ryan Graves went after him. And after the game, as everybody gravitated, the avalanche ended up losing by a goal. It was probably the, the, the most, enter, the more, one of the more entertaining games of the 1920 season for the Avs. And, uh, which goes to say, you know, which goes to show what you were saying earlier about how this could have been such a fun Stanley cup final, if it was mm-hmm. the Avs and the lightning in front of two sold out crowds. So at the end of the game, we were allowed in the locker rooms at the time, which I cannot wait for that to happen again. Everybody was gravitating toward the McKinnons and the Grubauers and the McCars. And I went to Ryan Grace to ask him about that situation and uh, with a voice that was cracking, because you can tell he had lost his voice from all the screaming during that game, he goes, you don't go after our star players and expect me not to stand up for him. He just, he 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 said it in such a way that was like, this guy's a keeper. Uh, and obviously this was before Devon Taves came around. He was your top line center, uh, top line defenseman playing on that top pair with Kale. But things have changed. Devon Taves got Norris Trophy votes. Sam Gerrard. Just missed the hunch, but he was a Norris Trophy caliber defenseman for more than half the year. Kale McCarr was second in voting. You're not letting any of those guys go for free. Ryan Graves is the one you're exposing. Yeah, and man, it just makes me think if Eric Johnson is healthy and how he can take that role back from Ryan Graves, <sighs> yes. right, and be that guy yeah. again. Well, that's that's ultimately what it is. Eric Johnson being healthy means that the Gerard Johnson pair is coming back. Mm-hmm. It's simple as that. 
Right. Unless Joe Saki gets creative in another way, which we'll get to later in the episode. But uh, but that those are those are the three you're protecting for me is Makar, Gerard, Taves, and then the goalie one. This is a little bit harder. Are you protecting Fransuz, Miska, or Johansson? I'm just kidding. It's Fransuz. So that's ultimately what you're doing. So we'll see what this list looks like compared to what the Avalanche do. Obviously, this could all get blown up if Gabe Landeskog signs. Then the Avalanche end up probably leaving both John, uh, Comfort and Donskoy unprotected. Mm-hmm. And then there's still the the possibility of a trade. I mean, if the Avalanche wanted to trade for Connor Garland, it would be stupid right now to trade a draft pick for Garland because then you have to protect Garland, which means you're unprotecting another forward. But if your plan is we no longer want, let's say, Tyson Jost, I'm just saying name out of a hat, we no longer want Tyson Jost and it becomes a one-for-one trade with like picks and prospects involved, then all, all Garland is doing is taking up Jost's spot. So there's still a lot of things, a lot of moving parts. But as of right now, with the roster the Avs have now, no Saad, no Landeskog, that's what we're rolling with. Speaking of Gabe, why don't we go right into that? Uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins signs eight years, 41 mil in Edmonton again. That was kind of a shocker. I didn't think he was that happy in Edmonton. Um, but how do you think that signing affects the upcoming Gabe Landeskog um, offer, if at all? So when Nugent Hopkins signed that offer, I texted you. And you remember what I said? I said, this is the exact same thing as Gabe. This is a player that came off of a seven-year deal making $6 million. So he made $42 million. He just signed for another 41. So he's going to end this contract out of, you know, and this is not including his entry-level deal and the potential bonuses he made there, but he's going to end this contract at the age of 30, whatever it is, 36, with $83 million in the bank, you know, assuming no buyouts, $83 million. If he chose to go to UFA this summer, that 5.1 could have maybe been like 6.5 or 6.6 over, you know, seven years. So he gave up six or 7 million to stay in Edmonton because he believes in Edmonton. And by he believes in Edmonton, I mean, he believes in Connor McJesus because that's pretty much all Edmonton is right now is Connor McDavid. So... Is that not the same conversation that I was having about Gabe Landeskog two weeks ago? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to a different extent, right? I mean, Ryan Nugent Hopkins has kind of been a whipping boy in Edmonton, it feels like, for for years, where Gabe Landeskog is is praised up here, right? But that but that's the thing. Like I look at I look at Ryan Nugent Hopkins and I say, What the hell made you think staying in Edmonton in eight years is gonna be a good situation for you? And why did you not think about looking elsewhere? Gabe Landeskog's the opposite. Gabe Landeskog is like, what the hell makes you think anywhere else is going to be a better situation than being in Colorado for the next eight years playing with McCarn McKinnon? So like the fact that Ryan Nugent Hopkins did it and he took a hometown discount for a team that's done diddly squat <laughs> since he entered the NHL and still doesn't look like they really have the building blocks to be a contender, for him to do that, for him to do exactly what I was saying two weeks ago that Gabe Landeskog should do, Makes me feel a little bit more optimistic about Gabe Landeskog not signing for 5.1. You know, if, if Edmonton can have a do-over on that draft a decade ago, they would take Gabe first overall instead of Nuja Hopkins. And then the Avalanche would be left with, you know, Nuge or Huberto, and they'd probably take Huberto at that point. But um, when you're when you're looking back at that draft, Gabe was a far better player. He's not going to sign for 5.1. But if the Avalanche, I mean, this is what we were talking about. Gabe, remember what I said? I said Gabe should take a, the Avalanche look to give him a four to five year deal at six and a half. What if you're the Avalanche and you go to Landeskog and you say, hey, we'll give you 5.75 a year, which is, you know, a 
$300,000 raise or not even $30,000 raise on what he was making now or 3,000, whatever. We'll give you 5.75 a year, but we'll give you eight years. We will lock you up. We will do the TJ Oshie thing in Washington. The contract will suck the last three years, but for the avalanche, you get him cheaper now, which gives you a better chance to win over the next five years. And then in five years from now, you can be like Chicago and deal with the fact that Brent Seabrook's contract sucks and everybody's contract sucks. You deal with it later. Yeah, I think you even have some flexibility there too to even give them a bit more because when we were discussing it, you know, we were throwing 10, 11 mil at Kale McCarr. And since then, it's kind yeah. of come out that he's likely going to get somewhere around eight. So having that extra yeah. two, three mil, you can spread that out pretty nicely and give somebody like Gabe Landeskog just a pinch more than you and I were discussing just to make him yeah. happy. You know, we don't have to give him the eight mil that we heard he might be looking for. But if you're if you're giving him more, you're not giving him eight years. Ken Holland came out after the Nuja Hopkins contract and said, we uh, would have preferred less years, but he would have preferred a higher number. So this was the this was the compromise. I'll take less money per year, but you got to give me more years. So Gabe Landeskog, I mean, Gabe Landeskog, let's face it. If Gabe, if the Avalanche gave him five years at 7 million in five years from now, dude, that that guy's body is going to be so broken down. His next contract, whether with the Avs or otherwise, might be like two and a half a year. Yeah, which is crazy. They gave Nugent Hopkins eight. I mean, imagine getting yeah. eight to Landeskog right now. That's that's yeah, no way. eight years. But that's the thing. So like, if he took, so let's let's put it this way: if he took seven million over five years, that's thirty-five. The next three years after that, he might make a total of eight million just under 3 million a year. So it ends up being a total of eight years. I'm, I'm not talking cap hit for any one team. I'm talking in Landeskog's wallet, in his bank account, he ends up making 43 million over eight years. So if you're the avalanche, why not just give him 43 million over eight years right off the bat and get him for basically 5.25 a year against the cap? It'll look good for year one, two, three, four, five, and you can use the extra money, that extra one and a half, the extra two million to do what Tampa did and go out and get guys like Blake Coleman and Barclay Goudreau and win a couple cups. But in years six, seven, eight of the contract, Landeskog's contract might suck. Your team might start to suck, but like Chicago after their cups, if you're a fan and you're going to complain at that point that Brent Seabrook's making too much money, whoop de do. You, you got three cups in the bank. So that's kind of the way that I look at it. If you're Gabe, what's the point of taking betting on yourself and taking seven million over five years, for example, when you can just take forty-three over eight, and it pretty much guarantees you eight years in the NHL because in five years from now, you know, he might get a you know, he might get the Corey Perry deal in five years from now, league men, and then league men, and then league men, and you end up making thirty-eight million over eight years when you could have gotten forty-three from the Avs. So you kind of get the point. Like it's it's that compromise and what Nugent Hopkins contract did, especially the fact that he's a comparable to Landeskog in the sense where he's the same draft year. He's coming off of a first contract that was pretty, pretty hefty. It seems like this might be the way for Joe Sackick to go because it gives you that flexibility in the first three, four years of, of Gabe's deal uh, to, to really use that extra money on, on other pieces. And no matter what, I don't think there's any reason to sweat Gabe Landeskog leaving Colorado. I'm confident that they'll figure that out. That's priority. Yeah, I feel a lot better about that than I did two weeks ago. I thought two weeks ago it was more of like a yes or no or maybe. And now I'm just like, yeah, he's they'll he's, figure he's it staying. out. Yeah, they'll figure it out. Uh, so there's been a lot of rumors around Avalanche land about Seth Jones. Of course, we know he doesn't want to sign in Columbus again. Uh, he made that public. So um, I don't know. Would you do it? You think that's a good fit for Colorado? I, I don't personally think so. But, um, you know, you, you got to always examine all options, right? You got to you got to think of everything. 
depending on what Makar and Landeskog make, depending on what you do with Brandon Saad, whether you bring him back or you replace him with Connor Garland and he only signs for $3 million, if you have the money and it doesn't cost you the complete bank in terms of picks and prospects and assets, why wouldn't you go out and trade for Seth Jones, even if it is like Brandon Saad for one season, and then take a lineup and put Makar Taves on your top line, Gerard Jones on your second pair, and Eric Johnson with Bowen Byram on your third pair, and Connor Timmons is your seventh, and Joey McDonald, Jacob McDonald is your eighth. I mean, that's an absolutely disgusting six okay. six group of defensemen there but that's my thing is it's not a position of need i don't know if you go out and spend that much money when you can better use it on a on a middle six forward right like we like we mentioned yeah i know but look at tampa bay's lineup look at the chernaks and the sergachevs and the mcdonough's and the headmans that they have on that team and they won their freaking first stanley cup with kevin shattenkirk what's the average height of those three defensemen you just named uh, twice the size of you and me. <laughs> like and Seth big, Jones. Massive. Yeah, exactly. So you just, you kind of, you kind of look at the ability, like, okay, there was that, that piece that the athletic uh, had uh, written about trying to come up with a trade proposal for Seth Jones based off of the Eric Carlson deal. So they used the same format and they came up with Tyson Jost, Sampo Ranta, Justin Barron, and a first rounder. Right off the bat, absolutely not. I would not do that. Justin Barron is going to be a stud. You don't trade him. Justin Barron's going to be the defenseman that making an ent- on an entry-level contract is going to be a difference maker. You don't let that happen. Jost, Ranta, and a first? I think I would do that for one year of Seth Jones. Yeah, that wouldn't be too bad of a... Yeah, I mean... But would Columbus take that? Yeah, that that's a, that's the other thing too. Absolutely, but I, again, I think you need to focus on some forwards. Your defense yeah, is for strong. Sure. It's too strong. Like you said, they got Baron right around the corner. They got other guys right <laughs> yeah, around. Yeah, but but you're trying to win a cup. Yeah, you're but you're trying to fill roles that uh, were kind of disappointed by guys like Cow and you know O'Connor. Who knows if he'll ever reach that third line guy that you need? You need to you need to strengthen the third line, and that needs to be the focus before you bring in another all-star defenseman because you already have three yeah and and the reality is you know what was an episode title that we had last year in the offseason in october Saad got his taves Mm -hmm. joe sakic went out and got the forward and then he later said all right now that i figured out this thing i'm going to go out and trade two second round draft picks for a defenseman nobody had any idea was on the block so it's kind of similar to that. If if you go out and figure out the forward situation, whether it's re-signing Saad or, or or trading for Garland or, or or you know random player X that Joe Sackick randomly decides he's going to trade for, uh, once you get that all figured out, if Seth Jones is still there and nobody's given Columbus what they want, and you can put together a deal to bring him here for one year, that isn't going to completely destroy your team and dismantle your roster. I mean, look, dude, look at what they gave up once for uh, Michael Botker. For a friggin' trade mm-hmm. at a trade deadline as a rental. They gave up, I mean, an older Alex Tangay, but they gave up Kyle Woodwood and uh Kyle Wood, which was a promising young defenseman at the time, and Connor Bleakley, which ultimately everybody knew he wasn't gonna re-sign and they were gonna get a compensation of a second round draft pick for it. So that was a pretty high pickup for a middle six winger that now you have Donskoy that's better than Bodker ever was. So 
when you look at Seth Jones, if if it's not going to completely kill the bank in terms of your picks and prospects, I mean, like the the deals that I'm thinking of are are barely as much as what those guys gave up for, uh, or, or are barely as much as what the Maple Leafs gave up for Nick Foligno, and you know from Columbus, the same exact team. If it's possible to bring in Seth Jones and have a Jones Gerard second pair and a McCarr Taves first pair and Eric Johnson playing on the third pair, bringing up young defenseman Bowen Byram, why wouldn't you do it? And don't forget, on top of that, right now, if Kel McCarr goes down with an injury, Kel McCarr is a right-handed defenseman. If he goes down with an injury, which let's face it, he's probably going to miss 10 or 15 games as usual, who's your top line right, right defenseman? It's Eric Johnson. Are you comfortable with that? Because I'm not. Seth Jones now becomes your top pair defenseman during the 10, 15, 20 games so that you don't have to play two lefties in Gerard and Taves together. Honestly, you've got me sold on this Connor, Connor Garland idea. That's the one I'm really right? hoping for. That'd be an awesome fit, more so than Seth Jones. I just don't think Seth Jones is necessary. Look, Saad got his Taves. Garland got his Jones. And it doesn't make any sense. But those are the two guys. You bring in two guys like that, Connor Garland and Seth Jones, even if it's for a year, man, even if you got to give up Sampo Ranta, man, this team has prospects. If you can crack a trade without having to give up Justin Barron or Alex Newhook, take it. Do it. And I know a lot of people right now are completely bashing Seth Jones because everybody's sitting there like, oh, why would you trade Gerard for Jones? I'm not saying trade Gerard for Jones. I'm saying put those two dudes on the same pair and let them be the best second pair in the NHL. This is the kind of way you have to give Tampa Bay a run for their money because let's face it, that team's going to be in the damn finals again next year. Yeah, good chance of it. I mean, they're just so dang good. So dang good. Um, I guess the last thing we really need to get to avalanche-wise, uh, just let's look at the rewards that no avalanche won. Again, kind of seems to be a trend, right? No avalanche seem to ever get it uh, over the hump. They're always getting they get, the nods. They get almost. They get almost awards. So, yeah. I mean, what's your quick reaction to uh, McKinnon ending up third in the Hart Trophy? It's exactly what I thought he would, where I thought he would end up. No surprise there, really. Yeah. He wasn't inspiring uh, in terms of points. He wasn't inspiring in terms of goals. Uh, he wasn't inspiring in terms of McKinnon standards, even though he had a lot of points and, and over an 82-game season, that would have given him his first 100-point year in the NHL. Nothing about it was completely inspiring, but it's crazy that he wasn't completely out of this world and is still a top three player in the NHL. That's what he is. Yeah, kind of frustrating how the last two seasons you kind of felt, uh, you know, last year McKinnon wasn't fully himself. Rantanen had a good year, and the year before that, McKinnon was buzzing, but Rantanen wasn't fully himself. If they can get a year where they're both playing like themselves, that's the unstoppable team we've been waiting exactly, for. Exactly, exactly. With or without Seth Jones, you're winning a cup with that kind of team. <laughs> like That's just the reality. But um, Austin Matthews was scoring at a 60-70 to 70 goal pace over 82 games, and Connor McDavid was scoring at a ton of point pace. Like He hit 105 points in freaking 55 games. Like It's crazy, 56 games. So that one doesn't surprise me. Uh, Philip Grubauer doesn't surprise me either. What does surprise me is I thought Vasilevsky would go one and Fleury two, but I think they gave Fleury his respect award of Vasilevsky won this last year. Or no, Hellebuck did, but Vasilevsky's won this. He's going to win some more in the future. Let's give the old 36-year-old man that has had a hell of a career and hasn't won one of these for some reason. And I mean, he deserves it. I'm not saying it was a completely pity award. But uh, I think some of that stature and, and status of Marc-Andre Fleury played into it. But Gruby being third doesn't surprise me. The third one is what surprises me. I thought Makar would get second, and I thought he would be very close to first, which is exactly what happened. 
but I didn't think voters had the gall to give Adam Fox the Norris instead of Victor Hedman. I thought they were going to do the, the 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 Norris trophy thing of giving it to the guy we know and the guy we know is Victor Hedman. Why would we give it to these two kids that just came out of a rookie season? But what it says to me is Kale McCarr does the same exact thing and doesn't miss a fourth of the season is going to get him a lot of Norris trophies over the next 10 years. Agreed. It seemed like the voters really tried to do something different and look uh, outside the box here. I think the Vasilevsky one was a bit weird. I think Vasilevsky's hands down the best goalie on the planet. We're seeing it right now. Um, and then, yeah, what you said with uh, Hedman, that was a bit strange too, but it is what it is. Exactly. So, I mean... Better luck next year. I think I think the Avalanche would prefer to have a year... If the year that they are all going to win these awards, it, they'd rather have a better finish. I mean, another second-round exit was so disappointing for them, and you could tell in the post-game pressers, right, how just upset they were over it. I think they'd cherish these awards a little bit more, and Nathan McKinnon would remember, remember them. <laughs> remember Kucherov winning the... Uh, the Hart Trophy and Tampa Bay sweeping all these awards after getting swept by Columbus and all of them going up to the stage just embarrassed, like, why are we up here? <laughs> it's it's ultimately that feeling. And I will say it's better for the Avalanche to win awards when two of the three guys that were up for awards aren't in a contract season. Kelmacar winning the Norris would have upped his value a little bit more. Philip Grubauer has probably already priced himself out of Denver, but winning that, you know, Vezina may have, probably would have made it even more. Um it would have been nice for him because I, I think he's not coming back to the Avs anyway, so may as well we'll take a Vezina with you on the way out. But just, you know, he didn't have the season compared to Flurry or to Vasilevsky, in my opinion. So him getting third is exactly where I thought he would be. Um, but yeah, better luck next year. It'll it'll be better for the Avalanche to win it. Yeah, it just goes to show you they're, they're almost there, right? I mean, if you can have McKinnon have that Hart Trophy year where he's not the definite third place guy and you can have McCarr jump into that first place Norris and he's the hands-down Norris guy... That's probably going to be the team that ends up getting the job done. Exactly. And uh, Nazem Kadri not to get suspended. Um, it just there, There's a lot of things. They're just right there on pretty much everything. And it's ultimately where Tampa Bay was for so many years. I saw James Myrtle at The Athletic. He, uh, he quoted an article. He reposted an article that he had written six years ago after Tampa Bay lost the cup final in 2015 saying something along the lines of the season ended in disappointment, but bright days are ahead for this team. And here they are, you know, on the cusp of winning their second cup in two years. So the Avalanche are just right there. We just went over a lot of different scenarios of things they can do to just bring them over the hump. But like I was saying, it's not about big name hunting. As I say, after talking about Seth Jones for 20 minutes, it's about finding the right fit. And if Seth Jones is that guy, then so be it. But they're, they're right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's all we have in terms of Avalanche stuff. I know we have a couple Twitter, Twitter questions that we need to get to. Yes. So there's a couple questions. I, I'm going to make this quick because it kind of are, uh, we answered all these. Oh. Um, two of them we answered. The third one, I'm going to get there in just a second. Uh, this is from Nancy Lambert for Twitter, at nprat44, and she said, Josty posted a picture on his Instagram story. I'm sure you saw this of his new Avs gear that was stolen from his car. Does that mean he's not going to Seattle or just wishful thinking? And she emphasized the word new. Um, the the funny thing about it, number one, that's a terrible story. Someone went into, someone broke Joseph's window and stole his avalanche equipment out of the car. Uh, people suck. Don't do things like that. But the new equipment thing, to be honest, Nancy means nothing because I remember a day where Daniel Alfredson uh, signed with the Red Wings and then 
the very next day went out and skated with his Ottawa Senators buddies and Eric Carlson and the other Swedes on the team like Robin Leonard wearing his Ottawa Senators gear because it's what he had. <laughs> like the teams provide the player with equipment and and uh, it's part of their contract until they're no longer part of the team. Um, and even when they're no longer part of the team, if that's what you have, that's what you use. So I wouldn't look too much into that, but I definitely like we had a long discussion over it. I think Jost is going to get protect, protected. If he's not on this team, it's because the Avalanche choose to trade him for whatever reason. Yeah, I like the thought though from yeah, Nancy. No, I... It's, I like reading between the lines. Yeah, I can tell that I can tell that Nancy is a big Tyson Joes fan, like many Avalanche fans are, and is just trying to find a way to to just make sure that her favorite player doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, I don't understand um, people stealing gear. That's kind of gross. I went one time. I got lucky. I had a homeless guy break into my car back when I was living up in Boulder, and I was playing college hockey. So he would have devastated me had he stolen my gear. But he broke into my car and took my bucket of change and my basketball shoes. Thank goodness he left. My gear, because that would have. He looked at the hockey bag. He zipped it open. He's like, "Ooh," (laughs) and it's a goalie equipment too. So it's like it just—it's got a little bit more of a kick. Right, right. Um, So the other questions we answered, you said. Yeah. So that one—that's one. This one we kind of answered. Do you see the Avs stay the course in terms of types of players, or will they look to do a slight retool to match up against physical teams? We just had an hour-long discussion about that. That one is from Matthew Booten at Sir underscore Bowtie. Uh, I like that play on his name. Um, I think they are going to do a little bit of a retool, but they're not going to overcorrect like Toronto and bring in older guys like Felino and and Thornton and all those things that we said on the last episode. I think it's going to be skilled, physical guys, um, and not a bunch of them, just one or two, just to kind of shake up the lineup a little bit. This last one is the one that we haven't answered, and we won't spend a lot of time on it because it's the NHL and nobody in the NHL ever does anything fun. This is from at Stompin' Clompin'. The name is SK. Uh, shout out to him. He he always is uh, tweeting me. He says, I know it's far-fetched, which is what I just said, but what is the dollar amount that you don't match if an offer sheet is made for Kale? I know, quote, you match it no matter what is the easy answer, but it's not the right one. 12 million plus, 14 million plus, 15 million. When is basically the point where you don't match it? Um the reality is, I think it is when it gets to those numbers, the 13s, the 14s, the 15s. But the reality is nobody in the NHL has that kind of money to throw at Kale and has their draft picks. Some teams have their draft picks because you have to have your original draft picks to sign an offer sheet. In a flat cap world, some people have their draft picks. Some people have the money. It's not the same team. So I just, I hate to throw your hypothetical question out the window, but the reality is the, the Avalanches aren't going to face a situation where somebody's going to give Kale the type of money that they can't match instantly because nobody has that kind of money and their draft capital in a flat cap world post-pandemic. Again, though, I like the thought. I like just the outside the box thinking, what if, you know? So yeah. always something that, you know, you, the Avs are thinking about and considering. So I like it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the Avalanche liked uh, matching Ryan O'Reilly for $6 million way, way back, or sorry, $5 million when when the Oilers did their thing, especially the way that they had uh, kind of the terms of the contract, the way it was set up with the signing bonuses and all that. Wasn't it Calgary? But, what did I say? Oilers. My bad. Yeah, the other team in Alberta. I don't mm-hmm. think they liked the way Calgary did that, but um, if it was like a $9 million deal for O'Reilly back then when $9 million was like unheard of, Mm-hmm. I think the Avalanche would have said, take a hike, buddy. We'll take the draft pick. And that draft pick ended up being Sean Monaghan anyway. Right. And, who, the, you know, that team, whoever overpays for somebody always regrets it at some point. So. Yeah. So I just, I just, I can't see it happening. Kel McCarr is a far more, far better and far more generational player than O'Reilly is. And that's no disrespect to Ryan. 
Uh, it's just the reality. So uh, I, I, I can't see that situation happening. If, if COVID didn't happen and the cap was at, you know, 90 million at this point, which is what we had probably expected had COVID not happened, we can talk more about this, but it's just not a situation I see happening where the avalanche get hit with an offer sheet where it's too much money for them to match. Absolutely. And that's all the questions we got, right? That's it. Those are the big three. Well, I love them. And thank you to all those people for submitting a question. That's what we needed. And, you know, we're going to look for more questions all off season. So if you want to be mentioned on our show, the excitement of being mentioned on Hockey Mountain High, submit some questions, whether it's on Reddit or Twitter. I know you're always always putting them on both. So thanks to the people who joined us. Um, Last thing to mention, uh, young Nate, right? On Twitch, he's crushing it saying some funny stuff. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of great content that we're missing. I think one of us has to figure out how to find um, his Twitch and do everything to, f- to follow what he's saying because I'm sure we're missing some some gold. He's he's a funny guy. And uh, I, I kind of want to, I don't know if you want to call this your social media moment of the week or just your gamer moment of the week, but Nathan McKinnon, apparently on one of his recent Twitch streams where he was playing whatever the hell game he was playing, uh, said, and I quote, I'm surprised you guys still want to watch me. I lost in the second round again. And this is while he was playing Fortnite. And I just think that is a golden quote because I can already hear McKenna saying, I'm surprised you guys still want me to want to watch me. He's still pouting about it with his still monotone. He still, he still has that pouting voice. I'm surprised he didn't throw in that. He still hasn't won shit. Yeah, I still have a one shit, <laughs> and then bashing the media because he doesn't want to answer their. And questions. then Phil Kessel donating to him while he's on his Twitch too. That that was a <laughs> funny little twist. Yeah, that that was hilarious, and and Phil Kessel's a funny guy, and yeah, it's just I feel like there's a lot of things that we're missing out on just by not not being involved in 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 that kind of world because I don't watch Twitch streams, I don't watch people play video games, I barely have right. the time to play it myself, but um, yeah. Shout out to Nathan McKinnon. He's having a ball and he's dropping banger <laughs> quotes like that. I can't wait to see him again in the locker room. Hopefully it's a non-masked world where we can see him again so I can just give him my smug, dumbass smile as I talk to him next time. I doubt he's saying the same thing about us, though. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to see him tell me off after the after the Game 7 loss against Dallas and the Game 6 loss against Vegas these last two years. He's basically shut me down on both my questions. Do it to my face, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, of course, the worst news of today, and none of this hockey stuff really matters when you put it in perspective like this, but of course, the death of Matisse Kivlenix. Did I say that right? Yes, Kiv- Kivlenix, yes. Kivlenix, of course, you, you never like to see anything like this happen. It's even worse when it's an accident, right? I mean, a, yeah. a death that it was unpreventable is one thing, but when it's a, a mistake or some sort of, you know, some, something that could have been prevented, it, it's always twice as sad and, and just... Man, you, you just don't want to see it. I, I hate to end the podcast on a bad note, and I don't know. It's just uncomfortable to talk about, but it is what it is, and be safe out there, people, right? I mean, how about those people that were golfing, for God's sakes, and some crazy asshole drove on the golf course and shot them, right? I mean, you just it's a bummer. It's a bummer I mean, man. that one is a little bit more out of your control. Whatever the hell happened with these fireworks in, in Novi, Michigan, who knows? But he was with... Uh, Elvis Merzlikens, which he and Merzlikens are very, very, very close to the point where um, Merzlikens' wife, and Merzlikens is young, he's 26 and he's married, or he's 27, I think now. His wife looks at Kivlenix like a younger brother. They're just very, very close. And she shared a post today on on Instagram. You can look it up. It's it's really sad. It's a tearjerker. Um, 
but he's this is a 24 year old kid that you know hockey doesn't matter but just a couple months ago he shut out canada in the world championship and and columbus is probably going to trade one of corpus Allo and mers lickens this was going to be his big chance mm-hmm. and they were probably going to trade mers uh, uh corpus Allo, and this was going to be his big chance to back up one of his best friends and just be an NHLer, make a lot of money, set himself and his family up for generations and 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 his parents and his siblings and whoever is close to him. And all of that is taken away. And, and I understand money's not everything, but all of that was taken away. Um, the memories and, and the potential career he could have had, the happiness it could have provided for his family, all taken away because of an accident. Um, obviously, if you haven't heard, you can look it up on Twitter what exactly happened. But uh I think he was with Merzlikens when it happened. That's not confirmed, but if it does, it just makes it a bigger tragedy for him, for 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 Elvis to see that happen to his friend. And you know, twenty four year old kid, rest in peace. He was a goalie, and and the entire hockey world is coming out to talk about it, as as the community always does when something happens. And I think the the, the craziest part about it is that he's from Latvia, and the Latvian hockey community is so close together because it's so small and so passionate. But. Uh, this was the second time that they've experienced something like this because this was the exact same way they reacted when Carlos Grastich was killed in the in the uh, locomotive plane crash 10 years ago. So it just sucks to see them have to go through that again. It also has hints of the Danny Heatley incident many, many years ago. So I, I don't know. It just has the same feel to it where, you know, it kind of broke a couple of players. I hope Elvis Merzlikens is able to recover this. I know it's not that from this. I know it's not that important. And, you know, the emotional side of losing his Latvian friend, you know, because Merzlikens is Latvian as well, is, is a lot more important. But I hope his NHL career recovers because it kind of seemed like Danny Heatley's never did. Yeah, he, he kind of, I mean, I mean, no matter how good a season no matter how good of seasons uh, Danny Heatley had, you can always tell that there was something kind of there. And it was, you know, the the, the Dan Snyder situation uh, that happened when he was young and a mistake as a young player. And 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 who knows exactly what the exact details of the of the Matisse Kilvlenic story is, but it's a mistake. It sucks. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's going to be hard for Merzlikens, but, you know, he has a great support system and a great wife. Hopefully they're able to to, to overcome that. But Regardless, it sucks to see such a young person, not just a young hockey player, but a young person die at such a young age for something that was so accidental and Mm -hmm. so avoidable. Exactly. Exactly. So on that note, you know, life is fragile. Tell the people you love that you love them and, you know, give them an extra hug and kiss because you never know what the hell's going to happen in this crazy world we're living in. I love you, Patrick. (laughs) I love you, Patrick. I love you listeners. I'm just trying to lighten up the mood a little bit before we end this one. Right. And of course, we love the listeners because without them, you know, there's no point to doing this. So thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. Thanks for submitting some questions and uh, listening to an hour long of Avalanche mumbling. Nothingness. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll be back in a little bit. And uh, I don't know. We're not, we're not sure when we'll be back. I guess barring any big news, we'll, we'll be back immediately after that. But otherwise, you know, look for us right before the expansion draft. Yep. Right when that list is due in about 12 days on the 17th. Uh, unless something happens before then, that's when you'll hear from us. Beautiful. Well, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Hockey's for everyone. And we out here. I'm going to go watch this OT. Game 4 OT. Let's go lightning. Close it out. Here we go. Thanks for hanging out with us, guys. See you later.